0: So welcome everyone out to our podcast today. I've got Dave Webb here with me. Say hello to the people's Dave. Hello, how you doing? No, Dave's got a little under the weather. I think he's got the epizootie or something. He's got a little coffee cough. So if you hear him cough every now and then, uh, don't don't think anything of it. I know he's elderly, but he'll be okay, I'm sure.
1: I'll leave all my germs here in the
0: office. (laughs) We will have a professional cleaning crew come in after this to sanitize Dave's microphone. On today's podcast, we're going to try to answer a few questions about what happens after a person dies. What happens at the point of death for an individual? Now, there's a lot of questions surrounding this topic, and we're going to do our best today to try to provide the clear biblical explanations, uh, um, answers, if if you will. To what happens when a person dies. Um, if if you are listening to this podcast and for some reason uh, there's a question that still remains uh, after we finish this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us and uh, we'd love to, to hear your questions and try to provide answers. Uh, I'm hopeful that when we finish the podcast today that we will have at least uh, done a, you know, you know a a decent job of trying to cover all of the, um, uh, I guess, b- biblical uh, comments, uh, the explanation of of what happens at death. So to begin with, uh, we will just quickly define um, what we mean by by death. Now. Don't look at me like that, Dave. I know we all know what dying means. But there are a couple of examples in the Gospels where someone had died, and then they were resurrected by Jesus. They came back to life. There were some sick children. Uh, there was, of course, the famous story of Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, Jesus' friend. Remember, they, they wept. And, how, oh, he was your friend. How could you let this happen? and Lazarus comes back to life. So let me begin by defining the the term death that we're using today is death aside from the miracles where Jesus resurrected someone from the dead. We're talking about death as in the, the departure from this life. Um, it's the finality of that does that make sense? What I mean by that?
1: Uh, doesn't death also mean uh, the separation? Uh, separation from your body or spirit separated?
0: Yeah, it, it, it does. And in the case of someone like um, L- Lazarus and the miracle that Jesus does, um, not to get too technical right out of the gate here, we're, we're going we will do we will explain these things. So so don't don't freak out here. But when Lazarus is resurrected, Jesus does something that is indicative of who he is as God. He is able to bring the soul back to the body and then bring the body out of the grave. Now, in the case of Lazarus, remember they said it's been four days. By now, he stinks. Here he's, the, the corruption has set in. But when he comes out of the grave, there is no corruption. So Jesus proves, and it's kind of an understated miracle, honestly, because Jesus brings back a man who's been dead four days. Now, we, you're gonna, always going to have a skeptic that would argue and say, well, they may not have been able to tell time exactly right. Maybe, maybe they, you know, Lazarus was not actually dead uh, at the point they thought he was dead and his body had not began the process or the countdown clock of rigor mortis. So I think the Bible makes it clear that Mary and Martha are, I mean, these are educated people. They knew that their brother had been dead for four days, and Jesus intentionally waits that length of time, right? He intentionally waits before he comes back to ensure that when he gets there, there's no question about, what he has just done, which what he would do is perform something that only God would have the power to do, which is to bring someone back from the dead, their soul back into their body, even after they had crossed the threshold for the time that a person, because they would wait for several days, four days to make sure that a person truly was dead. And on the fourth day, You would know they were dead. You know why you would know they were dead for sure? If they were in a coma, they wouldn't be stinking. Their body would not be decomposing. So they would wait. So what we are referring to when we talk about death is the death of the body. The body has stopped living. It is no longer a living organism. It is dead. And what happens when the body dies? Now, I'm not implying that you aren't truly dead until after four days. I'm saying that that was the way, because they didn't have um, CT scans, X-ray machines. They didn't have the technology then that we do now to be able to detect uh, a heartbeat, even the faintest heartbeat, because it is possible that a person can have a pulse and a heartbeat, but it's so faint that you might miss it. But today we know when a person's body has died, when it has ceased to function. And when that happens, that's where we're gonna. Dis- what that's what we're discussing. Today. What happens at that point when the body dies, ceases operation. What happens at that moment, uh, and, and and then and then what goes on after? What happens after at that moment, and then what is the um what what happens next? So we're. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, to discuss to start our, our discussion today. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, Paul writes and says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Paul refers to a tent and a building. He refers to a tent, as in something that is made with human hands. Then he refers to a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. A tent is something that you live in temporarily. It's not built on a foundation made for permanence. It's just something that is temporarily used if someone is displaced from their home or if you're going camping and you want a place that you can uh, have a, as a as a dwelling temporarily while you're out in the woods not something that is permanent and that's that's the defin- or that's the delineation here a tent is temporary a building is permanent he says for in this tent or this temporary body we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling a permanent residence if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked in other words, we know that there is only a certain amount of time that this human body will exist. When this body dies, our, and I'm, gonna, I'm doing air quotes. You all can't see this on the podcast, but I'm doing air quotes around the word we. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. In this tent, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked now i'm going to come back to the air quotes in just a second because i've got to do some more air quotes in the next verse for while we are while we are still in this tent we groan being burdened that we would be unclothed but not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed or Permanently clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Wow, we got to unpack some things here. Okay, the word we. What is the... No, this is not one of those silly answer, holler back things we do here. This word we is very important. What does we represent? Look at the context that we're discussing here. Verse 1, he says, For we know. Now I understand. Yeah, he's talking, he is talking about humans. Okay, humans. But what makes us a human? What is it about human beings that separates us from animals? What is it about human beings that separates us from plants and trees? What A is the soul? The what? The soul. soul. A permanent soul. That's right. Because plants, animals, trees are temporary. What is in our bodies? Our human bodies are temporary. Yes. What makes us different is the soul. So when Paul makes this reference for we know, now he's referring to believers. Obviously, he's referring to believers. We know that if the tent of our earthly body is destroyed, we have a building from God. So obviously these are people who believe that God has prepared a house for them, or a home, a permanent dwelling place. And that would be a permanent body, because this body is temporary. So a permanent body is waiting on the believer, right? We, We are going to receive a permanent body, but currently we have a temporary body. That we live in. That body will be um, destroyed, dissolved, done away with, or as the word destroyed means it dies. This earthly home is destroyed, it dies, it perishes. So, the first thing to make sure we, sure we understand here is that the word we refers to believers, yes, but that word we also refers to the soul because we are not our bodies. Our bodies are temporary, but our soul is eternal. Now, our soul does not want to stay in this body, right? Remember what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall be able to deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. He makes that statement after saying, and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually not paraphrasing too much when I, when I do this. I'm, it's actually pretty accurate. It just, because I say it fast, it sounds like I'm paraphrasing. But he says, in essence, the things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't, I do. And therein lies the conundrum of humanity, <laughs> the torture of the soul. I want so bad to do the right things. But I can't tell you how many times I stop and I think and I say to myself, why am I the way that I am? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I talk so much? Why did I act like a buffoon? Why didn't I talk more? Why did I say this? Why didn't I say this? What was I thinking? Why wasn't I thinking? We we go back and forth. It's like we never can stay in a groove. It's this constant game of I did too much, I did too little. Back and forth, back and forth. So Paul says, I am miserable in this body. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul's not, a, oh, woe is me. Oh. What he's making reference to is how miserable, how miserable it is to be tossed back and forth by the flesh. I can relate. <laughs> I think if, hopefully everybody uh, can understand that. So, Paul makes reference to the temporary nature of of the body when he refers to it as this body of death. The body is dying. And it's, in essence, it's trying to corrupt us and take us with it. You know, it's, it's, it has no eternal life in it. This body that we currently live in, it's temporary and it's dying. Now go back to Second Corinthians 5 and Paul says, For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if, indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now go back to Romans seven twenty four. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? These are, I'm not saying these are direct parallels. I mean, they are direct parallels, but I'm not saying that Paul intentionally, I'm not saying he didn't, but I'm not implying that he intentionally wrote 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2 and 3, and Romans 7 and 24 simultaneously. With you know, but it is the exact same thought. In 7:24 he says, "Who will deliver me from the body of this death?" And then in five Second Corinthians five, basically one through five, he says in verse three, "If indeed if indeed by putting it on we might not be found naked in re- or, for in this tent we groan the temporary tent, the temporary body, the earthly body, we groan, we're miserable longing, desperately wanting to put on a permanent, the permanent body, the new body, the eternal body. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So what Paul is saying is, I want to get out of this body, but I don't want to just get out of this body. I want to be in something permanent. I don't want to get out of this body into another body, another temporary body. I don't want to continue in this life over and over and over again. So just briefly allow me to address the issue of reincarnation. Paul is making it clear that there is no such thing as reincarnation. And don't ever forget that Paul was a brilliant mind. He was a very well-educated individual. And oh yeah, oh yeah, 100% I believe he is is addressing the idea of reincarnation when he makes these statements. 100% believe. And I'm not saying that that's his premise, but I'm saying as he's making the point about what happens after death, he's addressing the issues, cultural issues, of not just that day, but still to this day, we, we still have the idea of reincarnation existing in our world. Yeah, I can see that. So Paul says, "...if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked..." He's, he's not saying, I want to get out of this body into another body. He's saying, I want to get out of this body and get into the permanent, eternal body. That's what he desires. Now, back to our premise here, our, 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 our focus. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. What Paul is saying is very, very important. I want out of this body, but I don't want to just get out of this body. I want to get into an eternal body. Now listen to what he says. Verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life, or consumed by life. Right now, it feels like we are being consumed by the flesh. Right? Paul's reference to I find another law of my members warring against the law of my minds in Romans 7 23. Which is death, Right. Yes, we feel it swirling all around us. But that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Instead of us, oh no, we're edging toward death. What the believer is saying is, oh my goodness, I'm getting closer to deliverance from this body and life. For the unbeliever, this life is all there is. For the believer, this life is only going to last for a little while and then we get the good stuff (laughs) If we get, get to eternity. So for the believer, the unbeliever, they live this life because this is all there is. For the believer, we live this death because this death is all the death there is for us. He says in verse 5, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now, what this means is God himself has prepared this eternal body for us. Remember what Jesus says. I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go away, I will doubtless, means certainly, will come again and receive you unto myself. Think about the context of what Jesus is saying. I must go away to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. If I go away, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself. Okay? Now, keep that in mind as we go into verses 6 through 10. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We know that while we are in the body, we are away from the Lord. I, will, I must go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I'll doubtless come again and receive you unto myself. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When, when Paul makes the statement um, in verse 8, we are of good, good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, what that means is we have confidence. We're, we're full, because we walk by faith, not by sight. We have full confidence that just because we're in this body, this body is not all there is, there's way more there is an eternity that waits we have not yet attained or, 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 or we have not yet attained it we have not yet been given that eternal body we've not had the fulfillment of it but we know that it's going to happen because he has given us the spirit as a guarantee remember when jesus says if i go away i will not leave you comfortless but i will send another comforter or i will send the comforter and the comforter will lead you and guide you into all truth the comforter is the holy spirit he says yes. mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is, resides with us in this body to remind us when we get frustrated, overwhelmed by life, that there is hope. Now, think about that. Now, let's read what Paul writes in Romans 7 again. For I delight in the law, this is verse 22 through 25, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. How does Paul delight in the law of God in my inner being? That means my soul. My soul delights, meaning the word gives my soul satisfaction, peace, happiness, whatever, joy, and hope, yes. And he goes on and says, but I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Then he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay, that's the question of the, of, the, of the soul. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? The Holy Spirit resides within the believer, gives us our hope, gives us our comfort. Right? So, The Holy Spirit that dwells within Paul because he is a believer moves him, compels him, reminds him, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, meaning I walk by faith and not by sight. This body is all I can see while I'm in the flesh, but I see something else in the Spirit. The Spirit shows me. Reminds me that there is much more that waits.
1: Right. The uh, the Holy Spirit uh, is described by Jesus as being the Comforter. Yes. Okay. And it brings comfort for uh, for us. But the reason it does is because it is in one hundred percent total agreement with. The word of God. Right. Okay? That's also why Jesus says comfort yourself with these words mm-hmm. because it's it's all based on the, the word of God. And uh, that's that's where comfort comes from.
0: Every Sunday you every Sunday when I go up at the beginning of the service, there is this little magic elf that leaves a battery on the microphone that I use, my Britney Spears headset microphone. <laughs> Dave leaves a battery. Uh, 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 we have some. We have rechargeable 9-volt batteries that we use here, and he will leave a fully charged battery on the microphone battery, on the pack, on the power pack. I put the, if I put the headset, if I put my Britney Spears headset microphone on my head, over my ears, and I flip the power button on, but I don't have the battery in there, I've got no juice. I get no sound amplification. But if I put the battery inside of the battery pack, of the power pack, and then turn it on with my Britney Spears headset microphone over my ears, what happens? I have sound amplification something had to come into the equation that would provide the power for me to be able to amplify the sound. The Holy Spirit, when we hear the Word of God, when we hear it, the Holy Spirit amplifies that, makes it come alive, makes it so that we can hear it and see it clearly. The Holy Spirit When the Word of God is heard, the Holy Spirit amplifies that in our lives. It's like being without a battery and now having a battery. When we hear the Word of God, it resonates, amplifies within us because of the Holy Spirit that, one, makes it make sense, and two, provides us the comfort whatever we're going through, the Word of God has an answer for us. But particularly, or specifically, I mean, in regards to what happens after death, we have the Holy Spirit within us to remind us that there is eternal life that waits for us. There is a new body that waits for us. And currently we reside in this temporary tent, but there is a building in heaven, a home for our soul to reside in. We are currently a body and a soul. As believers, we are not a dual, we are a triple. We have the body, the soul, and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The body, the soul, and the Holy Spirit. We are a trinity of sorts. When the Holy Spirit comes, we have life. And we have it more abundantly. Right? Right? We have eternal life, abundant, eternal, more than natural, more than mortal. So Paul says, Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, This verse gets taken out of context miserably, um, implying, some will imply that this means that... um, that Christians will be judged on the good and the bad that they've done. And if you've not done enough good to outweigh the bad, or if there's bad found in you, you won't make it into heaven. Uh, Brothers and sisters, let me comfort you with this. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature, meaning you are born again. So this has this is not in any way indicating that Christians will either make it or not make it into heaven. If you are a believer in Christ, you are going to make it to heaven, and you are going to receive a new body, etc., etc. This mention here of the judgment seat of Christ refers to the actions done in the body, which were beneficial and the actions done in the body which were not beneficial. Back to Romans chapter 7, I find then another law in my member warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Wouldn't it be wonderful, I mean completely wonderful, to be able to permanently remove regrets? Do you have regrets? In life? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Do those regrets control you? No. But have you ever looked at a picture or watched an old home movie? Or just a you know, a, a memory crosses your mind and you think to yourself, Yeah, you know, I don't think I want to think about this right now. Because we've all made mistakes. We've all, you know, they're all we all have regrets. Now those things don't control us and no Christian should be leveraged by by regret, but we do have regrets wouldn't it be wonderful to know that those are gone they're gone sure that's what paul's referring to here that's what he's that's what he's referring to here and i will i will i'll I'll stake my claim <laughs> I'll, I'll put i'll 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 plant a flag here that It is not the intention of Jesus to embarrass us and shame us as we exit this life and enter into eternity. Um, Remember what Jesus says, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and you shall always be or ever be with the Lord. So why would Jesus die for our sins? To take away our shame and our regret, to take away our pain and our heartache. And then, after we have died and this body is dead, why then would he have some ceremonial shaming on a big screen TV to show everyone our dirty deeds and our bad, our mistakes? What I'm getting at here is at the point of death. For the believer, there is no question about where you're going, whether you're going to eternal life or eternal death. You're going to eternal life. No there's no doubt about that. Right? Signed, sealed, delivered. Done. Finished. Finito. The end. I don't know any other foreign languages or I'd say it. It's over. You have now entered into eternal life. Okay, it's it's done. Um I know that there are I'm not, I'm not arguing scripture. I'm not saying that that there aren't scriptures that Paul even makes statements about um, receiving rewards from the Lord. I just know that when John sees the 24 elders, they throw their crowns at the feet of Jesus. So um, if you're living your life trying to get more rewards in heaven, hey man. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news here, and I certainly don't want to be, make you mad at me, but I'm not so sure you understand heaven, and I'm not so sure that you kind of get what this is all about, because didn't the disciples say something very similar? Hey, Jesus. Or oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up. The disciples are having a discussion about who would be the greatest in his kingdom, Right? And instead of the homeboys going to Jesus and asking him this question, mommy goes and asks, which one of my sons will sit at your right hand? Jesus makes the statement, whoever wants to be the greatest should be the least. The one who is the most powerful is the one who serves all. So, look, man, it's not about me getting more rewards. It's not about me getting preferential treatment. I don't, or maybe I get to go through the express lane, express checkout in heaven. I don't want, I'm not worried about being the better than anybody else. Right? I just want to be what he wants me to be while I'm in this body as much as I can. And remember what Paul, remember Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He says, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I think God is through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if there's anything good in me, and Paul addresses this, if there's anything good in me, it's him, not me. So how could I take any credit for anything good? And if there's anything bad in me, the flesh, the corruption within is what implicates me in that and if the flesh is dead who is there to accuse me now and if Christ has forgiven my sin right braden if you are listening to this <laughs> i think you know where i'm about to go <laughs> the woman caught in the act of adultery jesus forgave and set her free What did he set her free from? The flesh? Hold on. Let that sink in for just a second. Think about what I'm saying. Listen to my words. (laughs) He separated her from the... He cut the flesh away from her? What happened to her accusers? One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. They went back to their homes. What was the intention of the law? The intention of the law, what was God's intention for the law? To show us what wretched misery this flesh produces. Right? It was not the intention of God to give the law to Moses so that a group of men who think they are in charge, can go around and instruct others to be executed. Rather, it was to show the severity of sin, the the debauchery of sin. And the intention of the law was to cut the flesh away. But what had happened? These fleshly, carnal, unsaved, ungodly men had become this cancerous mass that haunted and hunted the people of Israel for the pur- sole purpose of killing and causing death. That sure sounds an awful lot like how Paul describes the flesh, doesn't he? And he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Do you not think that the woman caught in the act of adultery was not embarrassed? Shamed? Well, yeah. And here come she these She also
1: knew she was gonna die.
0: She knew she was gonna die.
1: Who was gonna save her?
0: Exactly. And so here this cancerous mass has attached itself to her. And what does Jesus do? The woman caught in the act of adultery is it's it's a surgery that Jesus performs. He cuts away this murderous mass, right? He's writing in the sand. For all I know, he's showing how to do surgery. I don't know. He's writing something in the sand, and then he says, You who are without sin cast the first stone. So why didn't any man throw the stone? Because there were none of them that were without sin. So if God in the flesh stands in front of, of an adult or woman, an adulterous woman, if he puts himself between her and the mob of men who said, the law of Moses demands that we stone her, what do you say, Rabbi? What was Jesus' response? He writes in the sand. Then he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. What did they do? They all dropped their stones, their power, the power of death. They drop it, and they walk away. Now, this woman has been separated from this murderous mass, right? Then what happens next? Jesus says, woman, not an insult, It's a term of value, woman. In other words, daughter, sister. You are valuable. You have value and worth. You're not what you once were 20 minutes ago. Where are your accusers? Woman, where are your accusers? There are none, sir. They're gone and he says what the one who gave the law to Moses says what neither do i accuse you go and he does not say that adultery is not a sin he says it was a sin right but remember what he says to the murderous mass you who are without sin i, I, I mean I, i'm not I, i'm not going to put words in jesus's mouth but he doesn't say, you who are without adultery. He says, you who are without sin. Because remember, he's going to say, if you have offended the law in any way, you've offended the whole law. So if you've done even the smallest thing, you've done right. I in thought of terms. tons
1: of parallels when you've been talking about this. It's just different things. Like you mentioned, when the, uh, the guys dropped their stones, they dropped the power of death. Uh. Because there is no death where Jesus is concerned. Jesus is life. Uh, also, uh, when he talks about being, uh, where are your accusers? Well, who is the great accuser <laughs> in front of God? That's, that's, well, that's
0: right. That's right. That's exactly right.
1: That's the devil. That's so mm-hmm. saying if, if you're in, you know, if it, you're, you have me in you and you, you know, are in me kind of thing then you don't have you can't be accused mm. they have no power <laughs> when I'm around <laughs> that's
0: Those that's, kind of things, you know? that's so exactly right
1: that, that all comes to mind when you
0: talking remember when Jesus Jesus re- is talking to the Pharisees the scribes and the Pharisees they they are accusing him of being a <clears throat> fatherless child right? And accusing him of being the son of a bad woman. Right? They're, they're insulting his
1: And he said, you are parenting. sons of your father.
0: If you knew God, you would know me because I and the father are one. But you don't know me because you are of your father, the devil. And he was a What? What, do you know the word he uses when he describes it? He says, your father was a, or your father is a, do you know what the word he uses? No. It's not know. liar. Murderer. A killer. A murderer. One who wants to bring about death. What happened to Adam and Eve? Because of their sin, God says, you're going to die. You're going to live in a temporary tent. That's what he says. But... I am going to forgive your sin and give you a temporary covering, right? right. They covered him, them in the skins of an animal. It was a temporary tent. But they would be covered by the blood of that animal. That blood would purchase the redemption for their sin. When would they be redeemed? When would when would they be redeemed? There would be a moment when they would be redeemed or when they would receive their eternal body that would come. They were fully convinced of that. And Adam and Eve lived in faith, not by they walked by faith, not by sight. Believing that one day, because remember what God says to Eve, one day you, you there will be a son who will one day come his heel will be bruised by the serpent but he will crush the serpent's head what is the power of the serpent its bite its venom and what does venom do it corrupts and causes what death, death. o oh, grave where is your sting o oh, death where is your victory victory death's victory is killing The body, or, or this body that is dying, is a temporary death for the believer. Temporary death in the sense that we temporarily live in a corrupt body that's dying. Yes. But when we leave this life, what happens? We experience eternal life in and a new eternal body that is not corrupting that does not have corruption that is not it's permanent it's not temporary like for instance a a structure made out of leaves twigs and leaves and mud is not going to last as long as a stone fortress or a steel building right it's it's, it's not going to last as long but the body that we have waiting on us or the building Is a house not made with hands, but made by God Himself, eternal in the heavens, meaning beyond where we are now. We are in the temporary zone. (laughs) Heaven is the heavens, or above the heavens, is is eternal. Um, what I want to do, Dave, is I want to kind of just wrap up this thought. Uh, about verse ten of Second Corinthians five, and then we're going to close out this podcast because we've done some pretty heavy lifting here, and I want people to be able to think about you know, think about what we've what we've got going on, and then we're going to pick this back up, and we're going to go further into what happens after death, and I believe this will probably be a multiple part. Uh, series uh, of podcasts that we'll do. this will be part one and then explaining the, the temporary body versus the eternal body um, and then the idea of judgment and the believers, um, the believers, what's the word I'm looking for here? the believers security. that we're not worried about the judgment seed of Christ, right? L- let me, we're, not, we're not closing right now. We're, we're, we're going to be on the air for, for a few more minutes here to finish up this thought, but I wanted to give Dave a heads up, and I wanted to give you guys a, listening um, uh, to the podcast a heads up that this is going to be a multi-part uh, message, but let, let, let's get back here real quick to verse 10. Um, is there ever a day that goes by, Dave, that you don't think to yourself, Lord, I'm sorry for such and such. I know that that wasn't the right way for me to handle the situation. That wasn't the right thing for me to say or the right thing for me to do. And don't you daily find yourself, as Paul says, I die daily. Don't you find yourself daily going to the Lord and the Holy Spirit will bring something to your mind and you'll say, you know, Lord, a couple days ago, I I got off on the wrong, on the wrong page. There, I got off on the on the wrong path. Thanks for thanks for loving me enough to to bring me back around to where I need to be. And He doesn't do that through yelling and screaming at us and beating us over the head. Um, sometimes we'll yell and scream when we realize the error of our ways because we've we've caused ourselves pain. Um, but it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts that draws us to him and, and keeps us uh, focused and going in the right direction. So by no stretch of the imagination, by no stretch of the imagination, let it be heard in my words that I am implying that the believer can just live willy-nilly and say and do whatever they want. Listen, I, this could be a podcast all by itself and maybe it will be at some point. There's no such thing. As a believer that doesn't have conviction. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because you were convicted of your sin. You were convicted. You were. It was revealed to you that because you had been following your flesh, you would be headed for destruction, eternal death. And the Lord opens your eyes to that to that sin. Now, just follow, track me here, track with me. Paul defines two, two, two separate, two separate, I'm going to use the word things because I don't want to say entities. He defines two separate things in Romans chapter 7. I find it to be the a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Two separate entities. I and evil. And he says it lies close at hand. What does that mean? Hold on. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's the soul. That's who I. Am. That's who the I is that he's referring to. The soul. I find it to be a law, the soul. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, in my inner being, the soul. But I see in my members, in my body, another law waging war against the law of my mind. So, the law of God, or the the law of his mind, that's the law of God, the word of God, the law. His soul delights in God's word. But he sees another word in his body or another law, another way of living in my body, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin that dwells in my members or my body. So what is the evil that lies close at hand? It's his body. It's the flesh. And what is this delight that Paul experiences? It's it's when... It's the delight or the the joy of his soul when he hears the word of God and lives according to that law or the way that God, the way of God, the way of life, the law of life, the way of life. He says, There are two separate laws at work within me the law of God, which my soul delights in, and the law of my flesh, which brings me pain. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? S- deliver me from it. This what he says in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What happens to the... What is the good that dwells in us? Or the good we, that we produce? What produces that? The, the Holy Spirit, the yes. Word of God. Right. So, who is glorified for the good? He is. He is. So, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what am I going to do with any crown that I have?
1: Lay it at His feet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to lay at His feet.
1: Because it's all been Him.
0: Yeah. Now, listen, listen closely to what Paul says. I'm gonna go back to verse verse 18. I'm in Romans chapter seven. We'll go to verse um Christmas. I'm gonna read a few verses here. I'll go to verse thirteen. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin. Okay, so you see the parallel here. The parallel here. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment uh, might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spirit. This is, is the law bad is what it's saying. Is the law bad? That's what the question is. Is the law bad? He says, no. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So what does the law do? It'll, It'll show us the error of our ways. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out in the flesh. go back. What does he say? I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So there are two separate laws, a law of evil and a law of good. I know that in me dwells no good thing. If there's anything good in me, it's Christ in me. Christ working in me, the Holy Spirit working in me. So if there's anything good that I have done at the judgment seat of Christ, who gets the reward for that? Who gets the glory for that? Jesus does. If there's anything evil in me, okay, I'm not talking about unrepentant unrepentant mankind. I'm talking about believers that love Jesus. If you want to, if you have the audacity, if you have the audacity to say, I am holy and I am righteous in myself, then you are would have been one of the men that was standing at the court square wanting to stone the woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus would have looked at you and said, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And the eyes that looked at you would not be the eyes of your mommy and your daddy and your Mima and your People telling you what a good boy you are because you don't do them dirty things that them other dirty people do, but you do dirty things that you do. But your dirty deeds get done cheap. And nobody, nobody gets to bring those up because you keep those hidden and quiet. But the eyes of God go to and fro upon the earth. There is nothing hidden from his sight and he sees you. He sees what you do and what you don't do is just as important as what you do. And when you refuse to act in accordance with With the heart and the character and the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God or his character, who he is when he says, I am, how can you say you know him?
1: The Bible says if you claim to be holy, you're a liar.
0: You are a liar. So anything that is evil in my life, what happens to that? What happens at the judgment seat of Christ? What happens to that evil? It's cast as far away as the east is from the... Our sin is already cast as far away as, Pardon me. Our sin is cast as far away as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore by the Lord now. So what is this evil? These refer, We are separated from the flesh eternally. We don't, have, we don't deal with it anymore. At the judgment seat of Christ, we are free. When Paul says, Who shall deliver... Wretched man that I am... Evil man that I am, who shall be able to deliver me? Okay, I'm not saying that Paul is pure evil. You knew what I meant by that. Paul says, I do things I don't want to do. I do evil things I don't want to do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. At the judgment seat of Christ, at the judgment seat of Christ, we're separated. So when. when is the judgment seat of Christ? The moment that you die. Who do you think is the first voice you'll hear? The first face you'll see? The one who's redeemed you. That's, that's a two. That's who you'll see. Now, now I want to go back, and, and I, I, I promise, I know sometimes it may appear like a rabbit trail, but, but man, I'm, I'm a beagle. I'm going to get back to it. I'll find it. Remember in the beginning we talked about Lazarus? He was dead, correct? Yes. He was dead. What happens there at the tomb of Lazarus? Remember, Mary and Martha are weeping and crying. Martha won't even, or Mary won't, hadn't even come out. Martha runs out and meets Jesus. Where were you at? If you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. And Martha's just so heartbroken, she can't even leave the house. Jesus, how could you do this? I don't understand. And Jesus weeps. Because they don't understand that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They don't understand that uh, what the resurrection really means. And we're going to talk about that in the next podcast. So we, we're going to get to resurrection. W- you know, what, when do we receive our new bodies? Have people already received their new bodies? Um, how does this all play out? Is their soul sleep? Does the body go in the ground and just snooze (sighs) until Jesus resurrects us all at the final judgment and then boom, we're in heaven. You know, that's a very elementary level theology that would be good for those that don't want to study the Bible, but there's way more to it than that. But his promise is that we will receive a new body and that that promise will be fulfilled. So we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that in the next couple of podcasts. But let's close out today with the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Is there any question that Lazarus is dead? No. No, he's dead. Been 4 days now. Right? By now he stinks or he's corrupting. When Jesus appears and he sees the the mourners, he weeps with them instead of insulting them or criticizing them or chastising them, right? Which Unfortunately, a lot of times can happen. I'm sorry, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. Unfortunately, there have been moments and will be moments where church leadership will fail to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And Jesus weeps with those who are weeping. Now, he's not weeping as they do, right? He's weeping because they weep, because they don't understand. Okay, so Lazarus is dead. What voice does he hear? Lazarus? Mm-hmm.
1: He only hears Jesus.
0: Only hears Jesus. Lazarus isn't hearing the weeping. Lazarus isn't hearing the sorrow and the anger, right? Because there's anger. Martha's mad. Mary's hurt. Lazarus isn't hearing that. What does Jesus say specifically? Lazarus, come forth. Or Lazarus, come out of the grave. Or, as we would say colloquially here, and get out of there. Get on out of there. Lazarus, Get on out of that grave.
1: And Lazarus being a believer, I think he was, that's what he expected to hear. Uh, Expected after he died, the first thing he would hear would be Jesus.
0: What does Lazarus do? He He gets up. He gets up and he comes out of the grave. When When we, when we exit this life, right, when we, and and again, we're going to go into great detail, great detail in the next episode to explain the first resurrection, the resurrection of life. We're going to go into great detail to explain that. But to close the episode today, listen to what Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 2, he says, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Okay. We are always of good courage, verse 6. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So the implication here is that when we are away from this body, we are with the Lord, at home with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that at the moment of us being with the Lord at our death that we receive our new bodies, because we haven't heard any reference to a tent or a dwelling in, these, in verses you know, 6 through um, 9 it simply says that we are away from the body and with the Lord and I'll ex- we will explain in the next couple of podcasts how that there are those who have died in faith these would be those who died before the resurrection of Jesus they died and were in heaven, but not in their new bodies yet. But they got their new bodies. Those of us who passed, who will pass, or those in the church who have passed the church out. Over the last 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection, there have been people who have believed and have died. What happened to them? Did they receive their new bodies? Not yet. But they're going to. But, Even though they are not in the eternal body yet, their soul is at home with the Lord. Just like those before Christ who had not received their new bodies were at home with the Lord. And we'll explain that. We'll go into great... detail. There's a lot, a lot of Scripture to to discuss that. But let's make sure we, we, we close this out by saying this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, do not fear. Oh... When I die, is he going to let me in? If you have trusted in him, you are a new creature, you were born again, and you are covered by his blood, not by your works and your deeds. Don't let someone scare you with 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Listen to what we've, not what I've said or what Dave has, what, what has the word of God said? What has Paul taught and how does that line up with the rest of Scripture. And we went through ample evidence today of why Jesus himself proved that it is not his intention to embarrass the believer. Right? But to save us, redeem us, and keep us. Until we leave this life. And then he will present us faultless before his glory when we die. He will do that, not us. He will do that. So... Currently today, we live in this temporary tent, but one day we will receive a permanent body. Even though we leave behind this tent and we have not yet received our new bodies, we aren't at a loss or His Word has not failed us. Because in verse 2 through 3 in Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, In this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Meaning, Paul knows that even if this body that he's in dies, he knows that there's a permanent body that waits for him. But in the meantime, between getting that permanent body and leaving the old body, he's at home with the Lord. And he won't be left without a dwelling place. That dwelling place is going to be given. He's going to receive it. Now, since Paul passed away after the resurrection of Christ, his soul is in heaven right now waiting on the fulfillment of the promise of an eternal body that Christ will give to us along with Paul. Because remember what Paul says, those who are dead in Christ, dead in Christ, meaning those who have died since Christ's resurrection, those who are dead in Christ will rise first, get their new bodies. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In the rapture of the church, right. those who are alive on the earth, this is, this is something that takes place right before the tribulation period begins. When, when Paul writes those words, think about the context for us today. Paul is making reference to himself as well as us receiving the new bodies. And imagine or think of it like this. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first and get their, their new bodies. What that means to rise means that body, that new eternal body the old dead body is resurrected into a new body that is not corrupt and has no corruption. A new body that God has built. They will be given that new body. So before we get our body, if we're still here on the earth alive, if you and I, Dave, are still on the earth and the rapture takes place, I don't think we'll see, although I don't know. I mean, I don't know how this works out. But Paul will go... Ah, I told you, boys, and he'll get his new body, and then we'll get ours if we're still alive here on this earth. If we've passed away when the rapture happens, we'll be chilling with Paul in heaven. Our souls will be in heaven, and and he'll be like, "Hey, boys, remember when I said we were, yeah? Well, here it comes. Here we go. Here it is." Um, does that make sense, Dave? Does, does yes, make it does. Sense? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna close out our podcast on on that note right there. Um. Uh, if, if if you feel that this podcast has been a blessing to you, then we, we would highly encourage you to share this with somebody. Um, uh, share the podcast with your family, your friends. Share it online. Um, like and subscribe and follow the podcast to make sure you you, know, you get updates whenever we uh, upload a new episode. And, and please, please, please be, be in prayer for us that the Lord will continue to lead us and guide us, that we, we might be able to be faithful in, in spreading and sharing His Word uh, so that others can, can continue to, to grow and to learn. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Dave, for being here. And, and we'll, we'll come back again and finish up this uh, or continue this thought about what happens after death. See you guys.